0: You're listening to the Sprint Hard, Iterate Fast Podcast, where we look inside the most innovative companies creating exciting new jobs. I'm your host, Reggie James, and I've worked with many startups, three I co-founded, two that scaled to employ hundreds of people. On the Sprint Hard, Iterate Fast Podcast, we're getting candid stories and trusted career advice from CEOs, CTOs, and product leaders who are building amazing teams right now. Want to learn how to stand out and be noticed by some of the top tech companies worldwide? Hang with me as I uncover the secrets of their success. Okay, well, I want to welcome Tom Dreyfus to the Sprint Hard, Iterate Fast podcast. Tom is the CEO of Joseph. Tom, you began your career as a lawyer, I believe. You moved into academia. And then uh, I believe you kind of jumped into legal tech entrepreneurship. Can you tell us a little bit more about the man, Tom Dreyfus, and also your story, how you ended up where you are today?
1: Sure. Happy to, and and glad to be here with you, Reggie. I started my career as a lawyer. I actually actually went to law school with my co-founder, Sam, who I ended up starting Joseph with, and we ended up going to the same law firm straight out of law school. We both lasted about two and a half years uh, as corporate lawyers. And I think that for anyone who, well, anyone who's been a lawyer before, but certainly anyone who's worked in professional services, there's a kind of particular mindset that you have to to bring to the work. Um, especially in corporate law, it really is all about the money.
2: Mm.
1: Helping your clients fight for it was kind of my job because uh, I was a litigator and it turned out that two and a half years of that was more than enough mm. um, for me. And so, when I got out of law, f- the law firm kind of environment, I started looking at different ways that I could practice law, be a part of the industry, because I really loved being a lawyer and I, I loved the legal industry. And after some time in academia, um, some time working in the court system and working with a couple of different not-for-profits, I, I had seen enough to know that there were better ways of delivering legal services, better ways of practicing law. I might not have known what they were, but I could kind of feel it in my bones that there was a better way of doing things. And that's always been something that I think has driven me throughout my career, being better all the time. Like Mm -hmm. I always want to be better whatever it is I'm doing. Um, And so when this kind of big picture realization about legal practice hit me, you know, that there must be a better way I stopped and I, and I started to think about what that might be. Uh, and I think that was really where Joseph started, well before it had its name, well before we even knew what it was going to be. It was Sam and me sitting down and having a conversation about mm. how legal services could be better, both for the lawyers doing the work, but also for the clients on the receiving end.
2: Mm.
0: That's really interesting. I think a a lot of our listeners, you know, they're kind of might find themselves in the position where they've gone to school for a particular, you know, career Mm -hmm. and then found themselves in the position where maybe that career is not as satisfying or rewarding as they might've thought it was going to be. You know, how did you kind of manage that pivot that changed from having studied law, having been a lawyer to now, okay, now I'm going to move into, you know, the tech side of this. What was that like for you? I mean...
1: It's it's tough in a whole lot of ways. You have to learn and you have to learn fast a whole lot of skills that you don't get taught at, at school. I think a lot of them are skills that you really can only learn on, on the job. But for us, it definitely was kind of diving straight into the deep end when we founded our company. One of the things that I now know about lawyers is that we are trained risk managers. Mm. That's kind of what being a lawyer is in a lot of circumstances. And that is something that you have to, that I had to unlearn in order to be a good startup founder Mm. because building a successful startup is all about taking risk, the right amount of risk. Sure. But, but taking risk, risk feels uncomfortable for a lawyer. Mm. And so for me, that was one of the big challenges that I had to overcome Ultimately, though, and and this is still the thing that gets me out of bed every morning. When I was a lawyer, I had a client on any given day who I could help with their legal problem. It's kind of a very one to one relationship. When I founded Joseph and the platform started being used by tens and then hundreds and then thousands of lawyers, each of whom had their own set of clients. And I realized that the product I was building. Could be exponentially more impactful than me as a single person helping a single client at a time. That moment when I, when I realized that the potential of applying technology to help the delivery of legal services could have that exponential impact, that was that was super exciting. And, and, and honestly, it, it continues to be exciting. It's it's the driving force behind so much of what we do at Joseph.
0: Obviously, you put a lot of uh, time and thought and energy into Joseph. and I want to get into Joseph in, mm. in a second and learn more about um, sure. the, the product, the technology, the industry. like i want to I want to dive into that, but before we move into that, I want to know, just based on what you just talked about in terms of you know having to navigate that transition, that that kind of kind of yeah, lower mindset of a you know kind of managing risk, you know, if, if you could go back and tell your younger self one thing, What would it be? What would you tell yourself to prepare, you know, to prepare yourself for where you are today?
1: It's actually, it's a really good question. I think that it'd be something like, don't take no for an answer. Wow. Okay. That was hard, right? I I feel like for a lot of, a lot of high achievers, a lot of the people kind of listening, probably listening in to this, you're used to this kind of linear progression in your career mm. where you do well at school. So you get into a good university and then you do well in university. So you get a good job and then so on and so forth. Hopefully when you start a company, it's not going to be good at the mm. start. Like even if your idea is great and you are the perfect person to execute on it, most of the people you you talk to about whatever it is that you're starting I'm going to tell you some version of no Mm. either like, no, that's not a good, good idea. Or no, I don't want to buy that. Or no, I don't want to invest in that. There's going to be some version of no. And I thought at the start that no meant that the idea was, was bad, that, that I wasn't kind of good enough to execute on it. That my company was, was just like a big no for a whole bunch of people. And That's deeply, deeply untrue. Mm. You're always going to be a no for some people, but you're also always going to be a yes for some people. Mm. And you've got to go out and find those people. You can't take all the no's as the definitive answer to whatever question you're asking. you just got to go out and keep hunting for the yeses. I know I sound like a startup cliche, but I didn't know that. I I didn't know that at the start. So I found the early part of the journey really hard. And then a couple of great mentors helped me to see, see kind of what I just said, that for every no that you get, there's a yes out there somewhere. And that really helped me keep going.
0: Tom Dreyfus dropping nuggets of wisdom. That is fantastic, <laughs> and that is that is so useful to so many people. And I, I appreciate your honesty and your vulnerability. I think we we look at startup founders, especially ones that uh, in your position that are are quite successful. You've you've received you know several rounds of funding, I believe. You guys are building a great team, which I want to talk to you about in a little bit. And I, I think the way you deliver that message is super helpful for our audience to understand that not taking a no, understanding that it might not be the right thing for that person, but for someone else, um, that's fantastic. Fantastic. That's really good. I would love to hear a little bit more about Joseph. Like, t- what is Joseph? Our audience. I mean, the, sure. the kind of the value proposition is this, we're going to peel back the hood on innovative tech companies. You know, what are they building? What's the team like? What's the culture mm-hmm. like? So, c- can you tell us what is Joseph um, and what industry are you playing in?
1: Absolutely. So, Joseph is a no-code legal automation platform. So, what that basically means is we've built a piece of software that is designed to be easy and non-technical enough for lawyers to build their own automation tools. So every day, lawyers are out there doing the basics of their job. They're interviewing clients, so asking a whole bunch of questions and gathering information. They are drafting legal documents that help their clients solve whatever legal problem they have. They are working their way through legislation and case law and regulations, trying to work out answers to really hard questions. What they do on our platform is turn each of those tasks into automation tools that can deliver their services at scale. So you've got a client interview. Sure, do it once, but then that templated set of questions you can build into an application on Joseph that you deploy out to the next client and the next client the next client you've got some template documents that you're used to drafting. Turn those into automated templates on Joseph that clients can use to generate first drafts. You have deep knowledge of regulational legislation. Take that knowledge and turn it into an application on our platform that helps your clients make better, more legally correct decisions that apply to their businesses. So, we are focused. We're a vertical specific company. So we're focused on legal services and how we make legal better. But within the industry itself, we're solving a lot of problems for lawyers. Mm.
0: That's really fascinating. Uh, Can you talk to us about, um, you know, there's there's, there's been a kind of a a no code, low code movement Mm. for the last few years now. And what you said is that you're focused on a vertical. How does Joseph, you know, differentiate itself and compete against other maybe non-industry specific, no-code, low-code platforms?
1: Totally. So there are a bunch of different ways that we make sure that we deliver the best possible experience for legal professionals who are who are our target customers. The first is on the product. So we are, we're kind of a product-obsessed company yeah. because lawyers are notoriously technophobic. I feel like... When you ask people like what they know about lawyers, one of the things they might just you know say, even if they know nothing about lawyers is, you know, hates technology. Mm. Building technology for that kind of end user is, is a challenge and a challenge that you can only overcome if you are product obsessed. And so both in the design of our product and also in the feature set that we offer, we make sure that lawyers will be able to solve the specific problems that lawyers have on our platform. Mm. That's pretty hard for some of those more kind of industry agnostic or generalist no-code automation platforms. Mm. The, The second way we do it is actually around the team that we build to help our customers succeed on the product. So one of the things that we've learned over time is that making sure that we've got people at Joseph in our sales, our product, our customer success teams who have a little bit of a legal background, whether that's mm. because they went to law school or you know their boyfriend's a lawyer or whatever, yeah. it, it doesn't matter. Um, somehow being able to deeply empathize with the problems our customers are solving and also speak their language helps give them some of that confidence they need to start using technology more productively in their work. And so what I'm really saying here is the way that we compete is by being like a legal automation platform and everything that comes with it from product to to customer success to the personnel that we have in our company, helping to define us in the legal industry's mind as a platform built for them.
0: Very cool. Very cool. Do you have any examples of how you guys have had impact already in your industry, how you've you know, kind of disrupted how things are working in the in the legal space today?
1: Totally. So you build applications on Joseph that automate the delivery of a particular legal service, helping someone to solve their problem. Um, we call them bots. Bots built on our platform have been used just over 300,000 times now to solve problems. Mm. So if you think about that, that's 300,000 legal problems that have been solved by a fully automated solution built on our platform. Wow. Um, Our customers are in Australia, the US, and the UK. And so not only are we having an impact in that kind of pure sort of numbers sense, but also geographically, we were founded in Australia. And so our foothold in the market here is stronger, but we're starting to make inroads in those kind of bigger expansion markets. Uh, So that's, that's kind of one of the ways that we look at impact. The other thing that I'd call out, though, is that for us, the mission remains making legal services more accessible. So ultimately, what our customers do is that they build automation tools that help to make access to the solution to whatever legal problem their clients have easier. That That can be quicker. It can be making it available wherever and whenever the client needs it. In a lot of circumstances, it actually just make it means making it cheaper mm. because when you take a whole lot of human steps out of a workflow, you can deliver the service at the end of that workflow a whole lot more cheaply than if it's done manually all the way through. And the reason I call that out is because a big part of our work remains with legal aid organizations. Yeah. So both in Australia, the US and the UK, we have organizations that exist to help people who can't afford to pay anything with their legal problems. And when these organizations use Joseph, and there are about 30 of them worldwide using our platform, they can start to deliver solutions to legal problems at scale for people who would otherwise have nowhere to turn for help. Mm. And so we're always looking at our impact, both in that kind of global sense, how many problems are we solving, but then also in the more kind of human sense. Who are the humans legal problems we're helping to solve. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's really good. I, I like that. And I like the dual focus on on impact. So it's not all about, you know, the the uptake, the customer uptake, but it's also about, you know, how, how are you impacting people's lives in, in, in a real tangible way. Totally. I want to get into a little bit more about how you run the business, a, a bit more about innovation. I think our, our mm-hmm. listeners are really keen to understand, you know, how you innovate. And I guess the first kind of thing I'd be interested in knowing about is how do you balance the need to, to move quickly and make bold decisions with the need for careful Mm -hmm. planning and execution as a, as a, as a lead
1: person for Joseph? So making fast decisions is one of the things that I think has set Joseph up for success. Mm. We pride ourselves on our ability to make the decisions that need to be made fast, fast, not every decision needs to be made fast or should be made fast. And so before you even get to that question, you have to answer the preceding one, which is what kind of decision is this? Is this a decision that I can unmake? Or is this a decision that once made is kind of forever? Because if it's the second kind, then it's okay to go slow. Mm. We use a few different kinds of frameworks for making those types of decisions. Um, we try to focus on pretty deep collaboration when it comes to those bet-the-company decisions because as a founding team, we know that now that we've surrounded ourselves with super smart people, um, making sure that they're in the room, that they're fully informed and able to contribute to those big decisions is going to help us get to a better place Mm -hmm. than if we just continue to operate in, in a kind of founder silo. The balance is is hard but it's a muscle that you can train and so we're always talking about exactly that question how we make decisions we're always giving each other feedback on how we can get to quicker decisions about things that should be decided on quickly um but then also making sure that we leave space for collaboration when it comes to the big stuff
0: Mm, that makes sense uh I'm, i'm interested to know given that you've been through you know this startup journey is uh you know, has there been a time where you guys have had to, you know, pivot away quickly from a, a a bad decision or a failure or, you know, an outcome that you hadn't intended and you've had to kind of turn on a dime? Has that, has that happened yet?
1: Yeah. I mean, not so much because of a decision that we made, but I'd say there have been two times where that has happened in the last three years. The first was, was COVID. Hmm. The second the pandemic hit, a whole bunch of decisions that we'd made turned out to be the wrong decisions. Mm. I mean, we literally couldn't have known, but we had to unmake some of those decisions and make new decisions about how we were going to grow the company really, really quickly. The second time was in the first half of last year when the technology markets all over the world kind of crashed. Yeah. And all of a sudden expectations for companies in kind of hyper growth like ours went from asking what's your top line revenue growth and that's the only question anyone's going to ask to how sustainable a company are you building Mm. and underneath that that shift in focus from the outside world on us was a shift in what investors were going to value and what future employees were going to value um, in what the market was valuing. And so we went through a bit of a process internally of adjusting our own focus and making sure that um, the company that we were building was set up to to operate for the long term, to be mm-hmm. sustainable, um, while still kind of maintaining that, that hyper-growth culture.
0: Yeah, that, that's really interesting. And I, I wonder how uh, your team reacted towards that. Like, what was the reception of, hey, we need to... Um, move away from just the hyper growth focus to being mm. more sustainable how did that how did that impact you know the culture uh, of the company that you're creating?
1: I think we were fortunate in a lot of ways because we have always grown Joseph capital efficiently. Mm. We never set out to be a company that just kind of was going to measure its success by how much money we'd raised yeah, and so it didn't feel like a shift to be honest so much as a realignment Mm. culturally that didn't mean anything very different for most of our team It, it simply meant kind of doing more of what we knew we were really good at um and maybe a little bit less of the kind of pie in the sky super risky stuff that may or may not work and so yeah there's a bit of a shift in mindset in relation to that that we definitely talked a lot about internally, um, because it's true that that is a shift from us saying yes to absolutely everything. You you've got an idea, let's go out and get it. Um, to you've got an idea, tell me about why it's going to work. Mm. Then we'll go out and get it. Yeah, that that is a little bit of a shift, but it's not kind of existential for us because we'd already set ourselves up operationally to grow sustainably yeah I think that's probably the best way to answer the question yeah
0: yeah that makes sense can you describe you know what what is the the culture that you're building I think I might have in some research mm. you know heard you talk about um, failure um, and about about you know kind of creating the space for that to happen can you talk to us a little bit more about you know what is the culture that you know you're you're creating at Joseph what's it like to work there?
1: Sure. I think the, I honestly think that the failure trope is kind of overdone in startup land. Mm. Like, yes, it is totally okay to fail at Joseph. And no one's going to come down on anyone. We are trying new things every single day. I still think the hardest part about my job is that I have to learn something new pretty much every single day still. Mm. Like I've been doing this for a few years now and still every single day I do something I've never done before. Um, And it's both the best and hardest part of my job. And at least half of those things I mess up the first time. And so, and, and I try to be pretty open about messing up those things so that other people know that it's okay for them to also mess up the things that they're doing for the first time and that they should be doing things for the first time. But the biggest part of our culture And the part that we work the hardest to maintain is honestly, is honesty, sorry, Mm. is honestly honesty. Mm. We make the founders available kind of every week to openly answer any question that anyone wants to ask us about the business. Yeah. Um, we have sessions all the time internally helping people to understand how to give and receive feedback so that they can bring that value of honesty to work. The reason I wrap feedback up into this is because it is almost impossible to be honest if the person on the receiving end of your honesty isn't going to take it well. Yeah. Um, and so you have to train that feedback muscle in order to kind of lay the foundations for honesty being one of the the kind of the core values of a culture that you're building. We found that when we strip back everything else and we have a lot of other values that are really important to us that are reflected in the way that we work together, in the care that we show for each other, um, in the way that we support each other to do our best work. We found that honesty is the one that if we stay true to, everything else kind of follows. Mm
0: that's really good. I want to, I want to press you on that a little bit. Uh, I'm thinking about like the Ray Dalio and the radical candor kind of, kind of honesty. Is that, you know, is that the extent that you guys go to, to, to kind of get to the truth? Or is it more of like just creating a space where people feel like they can, you know, talk about what's really going on? Maybe you could share a little light on, on kind of what you mean by that honesty.
1: It's more the latter. So I think that the the downsides of radical candor for a lot of people are one, feeling pressured to share something that they're not Mm. comfortable with. And two, you end up listening to people with loud voices if you insist on radical candor. Mm. Um, Whereas if you create spaces in which people feel comfortable being honest um, and listening to other people's honesty delivered on the terms that are on terms that are comfortable for both sides of that conversation, mm. we found that that's a better recipe for creating a, a safe and supportive work environment than simply insisting that no one ever holds anything back in any circumstances. Yeah. Um, so it, it, you're totally right. It is something that you have to manage pretty carefully because there are... There are pitfalls to every approach to that you can take in this space. Finding the right balance um, is tough, but again, strip it back. And if you create a space for talking about that, like let's talk about how we talk about stuff. Mm. Um, that's not a; it's not an easy thing to do, but if one of your values, if one of the things that you're going to make sure you protect is that culture of honesty, then it's self-reinforcing. You're going to get better at talking about things because you can talk honestly about how you talk about things. We found that that, that approach works for us.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Tom, I've been in, involved with a few startups, uh, a few of my own, um, some other ones that I joined, um, none of them as successful or exciting as, as Joseph Legal. Um, but one of the things I, I did notice was that the people that you bring on can start to shape the culture Mm. as well and they can start to drive growth in their own ways. Do you have any examples of any employees or teams that have, you know, really contributed to shaping your culture or driving growth?
1: Absolutely. Um, I mean, I think that you're totally right that when you start a startup and it's just the founders, the company just looks a whole lot like you. You know, Um, you're in complete control of, internal and external perception and reality yeah. um, because it's just you. And as soon as you start bringing on people to join the team, you you both lose some of that control but also start to see the, the benefit and the growth that comes from new personalities, new ideas, um, and everything that they can bring to the table. One of the places that I really noticed it was when we brought in our first design lead from the start we'd only ever had kind of contract designers helping us with the product, helping us with the brand and marketing strategy. Um, when we hired our first design lead, he came in and he embedded a whole new way of thinking across the entire company, um, made sure that it kind of didn't matter where you were or what problem you were solving you had this this new framework for thinking through problems. Wow. And it wasn't just kind of pure design thinking. It was it was this guy had actually stopped and said, what does Joseph need to start to embed design into like better design, whether that's process design or systems design or visual design or you know user interface design, or all sorts of different types of design, how do we embed those into different parts of the organization? the legacy that he's created at the company is just so, so, so much bigger than him or his role Mm. um, because we've been able to see the impact that he's had across literally every function in the entire company. So really, I love that example. The other example that I want to give is actually um, our product, one of our senior product managers now started with us fresh out of law school, as a law graduate, he was on a path to becoming a lawyer. Mm. Um, and that was the thing that he was going to do. Uh, and he decided to get an internship with us because he was like, I wonder what legal tech's all about. And over the past four years, he has built himself up through a combination of kind of mentoring and training and formal learning that you know we've encouraged him to, to pursue And also, just his totally insatiable curiosity. Mm. Um, He has built himself up from an intern as a law graduate with absolutely no relevant experience to like our most senior product manager. And the reason that I I highlight him, other than that, just being like a an, an amazing success story, is he embodies something that we love seeing at joseph which is a willingness to get your hands dirty to Mm -hmm. try new things to kind of not pigeonhole yourself and just say you know this is my job i'm gonna draw between the lines and that's all i'm ever gonna do Mm -hmm. that's what set him up for success and i think that a lot of people now look at him and think well if that was possible for him at joseph like where 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 could I go? And the answer is kind of anywhere. Mm. And we're going to try to support people to get there.
0: That's really fascinating. And I, and I love hearing those stories. And I think that our, our listeners are really going to get a lot of value out of those stories. Because I think, uh, you know, a lot of people are thinking, um, you know, they want to, they, they want to shift into a, a tech job, they want to shift into startup, but mm-hmm. they don't, they don't believe they have the experience or you know they don't know if it's the right thing for them but I love that that idea of, of that insatiable curiosity and I think that's a really valuable takeaway for our audience to to think about that I can see how that's a lot of value to you as an organization to have someone on your team who you know embodies the 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 values and the culture that you're trying to build and is obviously a, you know a gun product manager so well done that's really totally. cool um, just as we're kind of wrapping up I'm 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 curious about um You know, Joseph, are there any kind of unique or unconventional perks or benefits? Because a lot of our listeners will, you know, be Mm. looking for, you know, a a job. They're looking for something new. Um, I think it'd be good to understand from your perspective are there unconventional perks or benefits that you guys offer? Is there something that you do that's different than everyone else in terms of your employee experience?
1: I'm sure that there is nothing that we do that someone else hasn't also done, but I'm still going to tell you about some of the great things that, nice. that we know that we do at Joseph. So one of the things we instituted a couple of years back now um, is Joseph days. We give everyone one day a month to just do whatever they want with. It's a super simple thing, like not annual leave, not sick leave. It's just, it's your Joseph day. Um, and so you can do whatever you want to take the day off and just go lie in a park and read a book mm-hmm. and great take your Joseph day, go do it. It's incredible. Like a lot of people don't even like some people at Joseph don't even take their Joseph day. And they say that just like knowing that they can, if they feel the need, you know, like they're feeling a bit tired. And so they're just going to make, make a regular week a four day week. Um, and then come back, refresh the next week. It's a little thing for us to do, but it's a big deal for a lot of people at Joseph, just having that extra, extra day a month that isn't going to come out of their leave to just do whatever they want with. We also, we have a super outsized learning and development budget um, for each of our employees and our philosophy on this one, and I know that it's a philosophy that a lot of people share, um, is sure, we could not invest in people's learning and development um, and they might leave, um, but also they might stay and we won't have invested in their learning and development. Mm. Or you know, we could invest heavily in their learning and development and sure, they might go and take those skills and go off somewhere else, but they'll be raving about Joseph and probably send someone even better our way, or they'll grow as people and they'll stay and they'll make the whole company better. Um, And so we, we really do believe in investing in learning and development at Joseph. And then the last thing, last year, like what was it? Four months ago, now we had a global company retreat in Bali,
2: Mm.
1: where we brought the whole of the company together for a whole week um, in Bali. Kind of, there was a bunch of work, but a bit of play as well. And so we have a global retreat every year somewhere, ideally super fun. Yeah, which I think is a nice way to make sure that people can connect with each other in a remote-first company, which is, I guess, another perk. Joseph is remote-first. We'll Mm. support people to work from wherever they want to work, even though we do have offices.
0: Nice. Very cool. Bali, sign me up. Where do do I sign up? That sounds awesome. (laughs) That sounds really, really cool. Tom, what three pieces of advice do you have for anyone who wants to apply and work for Joseph?
1: So the first piece of advice I have is the best way to get a job at Joseph but also kind of anywhere, is find someone who works there, catch up with them, and learn as much as you can about the company. Mm. Get yourself an in, both so that you're kind of pre-vetted for any hiring process, but also to give you an opportunity to work out if Joseph is actually somewhere you want to work. Second thing I would say, and this is specific to Joseph, is if you don't know a little bit about legal tech or the legal industry, learn something we value people who come to conversations about roles with us who understand a little bit about the problem. You don't need to be an expert. We don't expect anyone to be an expert before they start. But, you know, if you're coming to an interview and you're asking us what's legal tech, then you're probably not someone that we think has that kind of curiosity, that drive to learn um, that we're looking for at Joseph. Mm. And then the third thing about getting a job at Joseph is, and again, you can probably do this by by talking to someone at Joseph, but you can definitely do this by kind of doing a bit of research, reading blog posts, learning more about the company, but make sure that at least you think that you are values and mission aligned with us. Mm -hmm. Not everyone's going to be, and that's totally fine Mm -hmm. to be very, very clear. But, We're going to want to know that about you. We're going to want to have a conversation with you about, you know, what our values, what our mission might mean to you. And we want to know that you've thought about them um, and that, you know, you've decided that because of what we're trying to achieve at Joseph, it's a place that you want to work, not just because they happen to have a role going that you might Mm -hmm. be a fit for.
0: Yeah. Wow. Thank you, Tom Dreyfus, CEO, Joseph, on the Sprint Hard, Iterate Fast podcast. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom, sharing your expertise, um, and sharing some advice to our listeners who might want to work for your company or might just want to hear you know, really good insights from a CEO of a of a tech company that they can use in their career journey. So thanks a lot. It's been a pleasure having you on the podcast.
1: Thanks for having me. This was fun. Awesome.
0: Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Sprint Hard, Iterate Fast podcast. You can find this episode's show notes and additional resources on www.beakerandflint.com. As a bonus, for the first 100 people to subscribe and leave a review, I'm giving away copies of my new book, Scale Up Culture. Scale Up Culture will give you a leg up in your career by showing you how fast growing tech companies are building their teams. Stay tuned for more episodes on Melbourne's Tech Mavericks, 10 companies shaking up their industries in 2023.